picture for us. It, um, it stirs emotion in us. For some of us, it reminds us of a lot of good times and times with family. For some of us, it reminds us of things that aren't so good, challenges, difficulties, uh, reality that was less than what God intended. And in our modern context, the picture of family that is there is mom, dad, and the kids. And some of us look at that and say, yeah, we kind of match that. And others look at that and say, man, that's not me. That's not my family. So for some reason, we feel less than. We're going to talk more about that next week. But the thing we need to remember this morning is we are all part of a family. It doesn't matter who you are. You come from a family. The fact that you exist means that in some way, at some point in time, you had a family. You have a family, whether it's good, whether it's bad. And while we acknowledge that reality is not always the way God intended, we can still seek God's ideal. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. There's quite a bit over the next three weeks, and as we move into Faith at Home, that you're going to hear more about over the next few months even, that's geared towards marriages, and that's geared towards parents. But family extends well beyond that. And I want to help us broaden our definition of the term family. I want you to think for just a minute. Grandparents play a huge role in the spiritual lives of their grandchildren. That's family. And if you're an empty nester, just because your kids are out of the home doesn't mean you stopped being a parent. In fact, in some ways, it may have become even more challenging. And you're still a parent. Your role of offering love and support and wisdom continues. And it's not the same as when they were little children, and it's not the same as when they were teenagers, but you're still a parent. And that's still a family. If you're single, you have parents, you have siblings. You have relationships with other people that you consider family. And it doesn't matter where you are in this idea of family or this picture of family, the life and the faith principles are the same for all of us. One of the things I've heard over the last few weeks and months is, oh, Greenville Oaks is going to be a church just for families, only for families. And that's not true. I want to tell you that it doesn't matter who you are. You have a place here at Greenville Oaks. But at the same time, we have to realize and we have to be aware that 85% of our surrounding community lives in some sort of family structure. If we're serious about passing faith on to the next generation, if we're serious about reaching our community with the good news of Jesus Christ, then we must engage families in ways that we haven't done before. We must be better at doing that. No matter who we are, or what our status or situation in life may be. This morning, I want us to know that we are all living a story. Our lives individually tell a story. Our lives and our relationships and our families tell a story. Our lives and our relationships as a church, we are telling a story. We are living that story out. I want you to Consider this quote for just a minute by Donald Miller. A story is based on what people think is important. So when we live a story, we are telling people around us what we think is important. The way you live your life, the story that your family is telling right now, the story that our church is telling through our lives and through our relationship 
is telling people what we think is important. When I think about my family, I, uh, I'm grateful for my granny. My dad grew up in Salado, Texas. Some of you know where that is, right in the heart of, of central Texas. Um, my dad grew up there when it was even smaller than it is now, and it's still small. And every Sunday morning, my granny would wake up and would get uh, my dad and his three brothers and his sister ready for church and would take them to church. And my granddad would sleep in. Week after week, this happened. And my dad's the youngest. And his sister was, if I remember correctly, um, 12 or 13 years older than him. So this went on for years. And my dad remembers being a little boy and and his mom, my granny, waking him up and getting the whole family ready and breakfast and everything and then walking them to church in this small town. And every Sunday morning they would do this. And one Sunday morning they're going through their routine and, and my granny has them all up and ready to go and they're dressed and they're finishing up breakfast and they're about to leave for church. And my granddad walks in and he's dressed. And everything just stops. And they look at him <laughs> And I think one of his brothers, one of my uncles, looks at him and says, where are you going? He just kind of looks for a second, and, and he looks at my granny and he says, well, I figured if it's important for you to take the family to church, well, I, I might as well go with you. And that morning, my granddad walked with his family to church for the first time. Many years into marriage, many years into having children. And he kept going back. And he kept going back. And he became a deacon in that church. Until the day he died, he lived a faithful life. That's part of my family's story. See, my granny was living a good story, even in a difficult circumstance. I mean, my granddad wasn't a bad guy, but, but she would be considered spiritually single, as I, I've heard people say from time to time. And I can't help but think that my granddad saw the story that my granny was living, and at some point, probably not immediately, he probably thought about this long before he made that, that morning walk to church with his family. But at some point, he started seeing the story that my granny and his children were living, and he started thinking about it, and he decided, you know what, that's the story I want too. I don't want this story of being by myself. I want the story that my, the rest of my family has, the story of Jesus. Think about Deuteronomy 6. It's a passage that many of us have heard before, and it shaped the story for many Israelites. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on door frames of your houses and on your gates. Imagine you are a part of this community hearing this message. You are part of this nation whose identity has been slavery. They are known as slaves. They are known as wandering in the wilderness. They've just come out of slavery in their life, their dreams, your hopes, your, even, your identity is changing. 
And the message is for all of Israel. Hear, O Israel. The message is for the entire nation, the entire community. It's shaping identity. It's giving this nation a story. It's for the nation as a whole, but also for each tribe, for each family, for each individual. The story of a God who loves them and wants relationship with them. And they're to talk about it. They're to model it. They're to teach it. They're to live it at home when they're traveling in all of life, when they're gathered for worship and when they're separate. They're to be intentional. They're to to do things on purpose to pass this faith on to the next generation. They're to be proactive. Don't just wait till something happens, but talk about it. Impress these things on your children. Making the home the primary, not the only, but the primary location for spiritual formation. To the call for the nation, its families, and its people to live a better story. The story of slavery is gone. The story of relationship with God in a new land is here. Impress these things on your children. Talk about these things in your homes. Do this as a nation and do this as families. And then a little while later, once they're in the land, we have Joshua. Joshua, who was one of the spies who went out and saw these giants in the land and saw how difficult the task was And when they came back, most of the spies said, we can't do this. We can't take this land. And Joshua and one other guy said, Caleb, said, yes, we can. God is with us. We can do this. And later on, Joshua tells the story again. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua takes a stand. He sets an intentional course for his family. And he's trying to do the same thing for the nation, for all the people, but he realizes that they have to make the choice for themselves. He addresses all the stories that are out there, the past history with other gods. If you go back, he tells the story of living in slavery. He tells all these different identities, all these different stories that these people have lived into, but then at the end, he says, giving them a choice, choose this day who you will serve. But he makes his choice clear, emphatically stating the direction for his family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua is choosing a better story. And then I hear the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. The thief is here. He is there to steal, and he is there to kill, and he is there to destroy. And we see that story lived out, and it's wreaking havoc in marriages, in families, and in homes. Jesus wants to give us life to the full. 
A quote from Kurt Bruner, who's a minister and an author, illustrates this very well. It says, God intended the home to be a place of intimacy and joy rather than isolation and pain. A little bit of heaven rather than a foretaste of hell. Two different stories. The thief is there to steal our joy, wanting us to live a story of comparison to everyone else around us, wanting us to live a story of perfectionism. Our children have to look perfect all the time and be perfect all the time, and we have to present something that's perfect all the time, and that steals the joy from our lives. He's there trying to destroy us, or he's there trying to kill our livelihood through the busyness of life that we buy into. Think about your day yesterday. What did you do? I know I had a busy day yesterday. We were at the soccer field. We were taking our oldest daughter to a birthday party. We had errands to run and things to do. Too much of that kills our livelihood as individuals and as a family. And he's there trying to destroy us and destroy the good things that are supposed to be happening in our homes. He's there distracting us, creating isolation, miscommunication. And we spend a lot of time in the other story of of thinking what God wants from us, that God wants our prayers, that God wants us to do Bible study in the home, that God wants us uh, to go to church, that God wants us to live this way and do this. And yeah, there are things that God desires from us. We say it all the time. I I know I should do that. We feel a sense of obligation. But how much time do you spend thinking about what God wants for you and the good things that God has for you, for our lives, for our marriages, for our kids, for our grandkids, for our church, for our community, the good things that God has for us. He wants us to experience life to the full. He wants us to enjoy meaningful relationships with family and with friends. He wants us to experience his love through the love of others. He wants us to live peacefully knowing that he will provide for us. He wants us to live lives of hope and of newness, of purpose and of power. That's the story that Jesus gives us and that's the story that we're called to live in. And then, We move a little further into the New Testament, and we hear the words from Paul in Ephesians 5 and 6. We're not going to read all of this, but Paul calls us in these chapters to lives of mutual submission, to lives of respect and love toward one another. Marriages that model the relationship between Christ and the church so that others see and experience Christ in us and that others may be transformed to be more like Jesus. In every wedding I do, I have a line that I use. And it usually comes out of Romans 12, the passage that talks about uh, transformation and being like Jesus. And my prayer and my, my words in every wedding that I use for every couple that I do premarital counseling with, Every couple that I have the blessing to uh, share that special day with them and, and prepare them and send them off into this life of marriage, my prayer is that their lives and their marriage will be so strong and so Christ-like that other people will come to know Jesus through them. And I want to keep that picture in front of them. If you're a child or a teenager, there's a call to lives 
of obedience to your parents and lives of honor for our parents, for all of us, that continues into adulthood. And parents, it's, it's lives of disciplining and encouraging our children, but not provoking them to anger by treating them harshly. In the book, it starts at home. Kurt Bruner and Steve Stroop give a definition for what success in marriage and what success in parenting looks like. They say marital success looks like this. Every marriage is intended to be a picture of the marriage between God and his people as we selflessly give ourselves to another through mutual submission and loving intimacy. Is that your picture, your goal, your ideal for your marriage? And they define parenting success as this. Those blessed with the gift of children and grandchildren are called to inspire and nurture Christian faith and godly character in the next generation. Is that your goal? Is that your ideal? Is that your dream, your picture for your life as a parent? But ultimately, in the home, whether you're married or not, whether you have children or not, our lives, from Ephesians 5, are to be lives of imitation of God. We're called to imitate God, not just at church and not just in public, but at home in the place where we have the greatest influence. And the last passage I want to present to you this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And in there we read that in everything we do, Christ's love is the motivation for us. Christ's love compels us. It moves us forward. It directs us. It guides us. And we are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. If you follow Jesus, you are an ambassador for him by the way that you live, by the way that you speak, even by the way that you think. And in our homes, in our church, we are called to raise up future ambassadors and current ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And if we are ambassadors, then that makes our homes embassies for Jesus. There's a guy at ACU who I heard speak several times. He worked there. He, uh, his name's Don Jackson. Some of you may know him. And he had a very prominent place in the government for quite a while. And at times, the president would send him on a mission as an ambassador to other countries. And I remember him sharing a story of a time where he got to meet with the Queen of England. And he was waiting in this grand room, and the Queen of England comes in and walks to him and shakes his hand, and then she turns and listens very closely to what he has to say. And I thought, man, that is power right there. That someone as well-known, that someone as high in society as the Queen of England stops to listen to what you have to say. And he goes on to say the reason for this is because he has a message for her And she listens to that as if the president himself were speaking to her. Because as an ambassador, we are speaking the message of Jesus Christ by the way that we live, by the way that we speak. It's as if God were speaking directly through us to the world around us. And if our homes are to be embassies, then that means our homes promote the nation, or, or embassies promote the nation, the people, the kingdom that they represent. 
Embassies train ambassadors to do the same. They show hospitality and welcome others. They provide a safe place in difficult times. Our homes are embassies for Jesus Christ in our neighborhoods, in our apartment complexes, in our lives, our families, our marriages, our representatives of Jesus Christ to the world around us. One way that, that our family does this, and we are not perfect at this at all, and I'm going to share over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share some stories with you, some things we've done well, I think, and some things that we, and especially me, didn't do well at all. But one way I think that, that we've tried to see our home as an embassy is, is we have neighborhood kids that come and, and play with our daughters. You probably see that too. If you live in a neighborhood, if you have kids, they play together. They play with their neighbors around them. And occasionally they'll be there around dinner time and, and we'll say, hey, you want to join us for dinner? Yeah, that'd be great, you know. Do you need to ask your mom? No, she's fine with it. Okay. So we just set an extra place at the table. And one of the things that's very important to us as a family is that we sit down and eat a meal together as a family. And it doesn't happen every night, but it happens most nights. And we are very intentional about that. Even Wednesday night, I was up here working until 6.15. I had to be back at 7. I went home. I went home for 20 minutes just to sit down at the table with my family. Can't do that all the time, but most of the time we try to do that. When we have guests in our home, we want them to be a part of our family. So they sit around the table with us and we pray. We thank God for what he's given us in this food and for each other. And then after we pray, we go around the table and we just say, what was your best thing of the day? Now we're getting to an age where we're going to have to adjust that a little bit because Madeline just says, the whole day. Okay. Um, But we go around the table and we ask our guests, Hey, what was the best part of your day? And we listen to them, and we talk with them too, just like they're a part of our family. It's not, it's not big, but it's a way that we can be ambassadors for Christ in our own embassy for Jesus Christ, in our home. So the question this morning is, what story are you living? The quote from Donald Miller earlier, he, he tells a story in that book of a man who was struggling in his marriage was struggling with his 13-year-old daughter. And, and the more the struggles took place, the more disengaged he felt. And the more tempted he was to just come home and kind of ignore things and say the passing high and turn on the TV. And, and that was pretty much the daily routine. He wasn't real sure what to do with his 13-year-old daughter. And she was dating a guy now that, that he did not like at all. And he was pretty sure that she was making some choices that were detrimental to her physically, emotionally, and especially spiritually. But also, his connection with his wife at the time wasn't very good, and he had no idea the direction his family was going. And he started thinking about this idea of story one day, and he started thinking, yeah, my, daughter, my daughter's not getting anything at home. So of course she's going out looking for something better. So he comes home one day and he calls the family in. He says, hey, I got to tell you something. And he calls his wife in. He calls his daughter in. He says, um, I did something today. I, uh, I, agreed, I agreed to pay for an, and build an orphanage for $25,000. And their jaws dropped. And his wife looked at him and didn't speak to him for a day or two. And his daughter just thought he was crazy. 
But over the next couple of days, he apologized. He's like, I, I shouldn't have done it. I was being impulsive. And, and I said, you know what? We want to do this. We're going to find ways to raise this money. And he and his daughter started looking at ways where she could use her Facebook page and her website that she had done to get her friends to donate money to this orphanage. And she, she read up about the country that they were going to build this orphanage in and the people that were living there and, and what she could do to help not just build an orphanage, but what the, what the kids there needed. And maybe she could collect clothes and other things. And his wife came to him a couple of days after this announcement and said, and said um, honey, I'm proud of you. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I'm proud of you. And we're going to do this together. And they set a course to do something new as a family. And over time, the daughter broke up with that guy. Actually, I think he broke up with her. And she started making better choices. Now, it doesn't always work out that way, but this man knew that the story his family was living was not a compelling story. It's not a story that even his own family wanted to live, that even he wanted to live, much less anyone else in the world wanted to live. And he decided, like Joshua did in that story, he had to make a choice, and he had to do something to create a better story for his family. And he started doing that. You don't have to go out and decide to build an orphanage. You don't have to go out and spend $25,000. In fact, for some of us, that would be the wrong thing to do. But is there something you can do today, this week, that can begin leading your family into a new story, living out a better story than we're already living? Because I'm going to come back to the quote again. A story is based on what people think is important. So when we live a story, we are telling people around us what we think is important. What is the world learning about Jesus Christ through you? What is the world's impression of Jesus Christ through your marriage? What is the world's impression of Jesus Christ through your family? What's the world's impression of Jesus Christ through our church? And we understand that there's that tension. We live in that tension between the ideal, that this is the way it's supposed to be, and the reality, this is the way it is. So what? Can we not seek the ideal anyway? Knowing that we may not get there, but trusting and believing that God's grace is still going to work in us and still going to shape us? That's what I want to do. That's what I want for this church. That's what I want for our marriages. That's what I want for our families. That's what I want for the community around us. I believe that's what God wants too. So this morning, what story are you living? What story are you writing in your home, in your marriage, in your family, in our community? Jesus gives us a greater story, and our challenge is to live into that. Seeking the ideal, chasing the ideal that comes from God, but trusting in his grace and his mercy, even if we don't get there. I want to give you one way you can begin this conversation also. Two things I'm going to challenge you with. One, what's one thing you can do this week, individually, in your marriage, as a family, 
What's one thing you can do this week to start living a better story? It doesn't have to be big. It can be a very simple thing. Simple can be powerful. What's one thing this week? I'm going to give you a place where you can kind of discuss this. Tonight, you should be going to, or sometime this week, sometime this week, you should be going to and participating in a connecting point group. And I'm going to give you your curriculum for the week right now. I want you to discuss in your connecting point this, group, this, this week, what story are you living right now? You don't have to share all the details. Be honest. What's the story that you're living right now? What story are you writing for your family? And remember the broader definition of family, not just mom, dad, and the kids, but your, your parents. What story are you writing for your parents? What story are you writing for your brothers and sisters? What story are you writing for your neighbors? But for your family, what story are you writing? And then, again, what is one thing that you can share this together? What is one thing you can do at home in your personal life this week to begin living a better story? Let's pray together. Let's ask God to bless us as we move into his story that he gives us for ourselves, for our church, but especially for what happens outside of here in our homes, in our daily lives. Let's pray. Father, we see, we see the reality in this world, and we're tempted to just say that's the way it's going to be. It is what it is. But, Father, you give us an ideal and a picture for our lives, for our families, for our homes. It's much greater. It's much bigger. It's much more powerful. It's much more purposeful. It's more intentional. It's more lasting. And I pray this week that we will begin, that we'll just take a step to start living into that. That we won't fear the ideal, that we won't fear failure, but that we will seek and chase after the ideal, knowing that your grace is enough, it is sufficient for us and our families. Father, I pray over the next couple of weeks that you would challenge us to live out faith and how we can live out our faith, not just at church and not just at public, but at home and in the places that are the most intimate. I pray that all of us this week will experience that intimacy and that joy in our home lives and our lives away from here and that taste of heaven that you intended, even if it's just for a moment, and that that will be enough to drive us and move us to continue taking more steps. Father, remind us that we can. Remind us that you are the one that works through us. You are the one that transforms lives. It's, It's not about us doing it all on our own, but it's us taking the step and allowing you to move us and to change us to be more like Jesus. Thank you for the story of Jesus. May we live into that in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in all that we do. And it's in his name and by his power that we pray. Amen.